We're here this morning to shout praise and worship our God, a God full of grace, a God full of mercy, a God full of love. So would you stand with us as we sing and worship this morning? Oh. 
special thank you to my friend mentor, Mr. Avery Stafford, joining us this morning, and the Camarillo Brass Band. We're just getting started, church. A sound of praise.
You can go ahead and grab a seat for just a moment. Uh, my name is Haley and I work at Zoe International. I, <laughs> um, as an administrative assistant, um, Zoe is so blessed uh, by the way that your church has um, come alongside us. Um, and I'm actually here today to talk about another way your church is partnering with Zoe. Um, when you walked in this morning, you should have received a card that looks like this. If you did not get this card, would you go ahead and raise your hand? Um, ushers are going to come up and hand that to you. Um, in just a moment, we are going to take some time to write a note of encouragement um, to some of our staff members, specifically our advocates. Um, our advocates are a group of God-fearing women who are in the trenches of this work, um, meeting with um, the youth that Zoe serves on a weekly basis, acting as um, a mentor and guide and um, very often they are um, one of the first individuals that our youth meet that love the Lord, um, first exposure to Jesus. Um, they truly are the hands and feet um, of Christ. And so we're just going to take a moment right now um, to uh, just share a word of encouragement um, to our advocates, um, affirming in them courage and strength and boldness um, in the work that they do. Um, when you are done, you can actually tear off the side piece um, of this card and it can act as a prayer guide for you to cover this advocate in prayer throughout uh, the week. Um, and the name of the advocate that you are writing your card to um, is on this card as well. Um, so would you just take a moment um, and write a word of encouragement, anything that comes to your heart that would be such a blessing to us. Thank you all. At the end of this worship session, um, uh, ushers will come around and pick these up, but thank you for taking the time um, to write these words of encouragement and for covering our advocates in prayer. Thank you. In him there is life, and in life there is the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus 
Jesus' name. Power over fear, power over darkness. Your name means light, your name means life. We speak Jesus over everything this morning. On flesh to save the lost, grace and mercy displayed upon the cross, our redemption. He's the hope for all mankind, one name over everything, one name over everything. Say the name of Jesus.
During the pandemic, there has been an alarming rise in the rate of young people drawn into human trafficking right here in Los Angeles. Teens, kids as young, very young, in fact, uh, are online so much these days, we all know, and that can make them particularly vulnerable to predators. 33 missing children were recovered during Operation Los Angeles. Hidden in plain sight, human traffickers and their victims walking among us. So what happens to the victim after they are rescued and taken into custody? To discuss that uh, is Chief Operating Officer of Zoe International, Mr. David Cox. We're here today because children are being bought and sold in our city. What's this look like? Sex trafficking takes many forms, but today in our city, women and children stand on the street with a line of cars resembling a drive-through, waiting to purchase them for sex, all while being closely watched by a trafficker. I'm not talking about a third world country or a developing nation. This is in America and this is in our city. In fact, at Zoe International, we are opening a safe, specialized home for girls who have been trafficked. There are hundreds of youth right now in Los Angeles alone who have been identified as child trafficking survivors. In America, the shortage of beds is at a crisis level for children who have survived the violence and trauma of trafficking. So where do these children go to heal? That is why God gave Zoe a special place like this. This is what the beginning of justice can look like for these precious children. Well, good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, I am Zach Lawler. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Camarillo Community Church. And today we're going to be continuing 1 Corinthians 15. Good news, we're not talking about tongues today. You are welcome. Um, I'm just re I'm really glad I didn't have to teach last week. If you guys are here, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I got to be honest, I got a little uncomfortable sitting next to my wife last week during that sermon. You know, and I had my arm around her when, when Dave was giving the message and he got to the words, should remain silent. I just remember taking my arm off like, all right, that's enough of that. Okay, um, but I'm just glad we got through it. Dave did a wonderful job. It's a fantastic job. I just remember telling him, good luck getting through that one. But today we are going to talk about something that I think we can all agree on. Today we're going to talk about something that I think should get plenty of amens, not just because I'm going to kill it. <laughs> uh, no, but because of the subject matter at hand today. And before we get into that, I want to open with a question. Have you guys ever grown tired of something that you used to love? Have you guys ever grown tired of something that used to make you like really happy and bring you a bunch of joy? I ask that because as I get older, I find myself liking like less and less things. Can you guys relate to that? Like I, I find myself becoming like this grumpy old man who just gets sick of things, you know, especially like love and romance and feelings. It's all nasty. You know what I mean? It's gross. And as a high school pastor, like I have to deal with this all the time. Like most of my job involves just keeping high school kids away from each other. Like just leave her alone. Okay. No purple at camp. And now I have three teenagers at home and I'm dealing with the same things. They're just hormones and feelings and emotions. And they're starting to like people and they're starting to have crushes. And I don't like it. Okay. I don't like it even a little bit. 
For example, my oldest son, you guys might know him. His name's Tyler. He's the one that spends half of his day in the gym and the rest of his day checking his hair in the mirror. Yes, that's Tyler. And Tyler started communicating with a certain young woman. And they've been sending each other texts, but not just like normal texts, like page-long texts, you know? As far as I'm concerned, if you have to scroll to a text, it's way too long. Just stop, okay? Just send an emoji or something, right? And and, uh, on Monday, he grabs his phone, and I see him walk out to the balcony. And this is new for us as parents. He's never really talked with girls on the phone, but he goes out on the patio. And a couple minutes go by, and I'm studying my material for the sermon because I study hard for y'all. You're welcome. And... um, I'm studying, and several minutes go by, and I hear my wife chatting upstairs, and I think her and Tyler are doing one of their mom, you know, son talks, and and then another half hour goes by, and and another hour, and then I see Tyler walk in from the patio, and I'm like, Tyler, have you been out there this whole time? Like, have you really been on the phone for an hour and a half? And he's like, yeah, Dad, we were just chatting, and I, I don't know why I'm cranky, right? But I just got really irritated, and I was like, what do you have to talk about for an hour and a half? After you talk about your hair and your biceps, what is there left to chat about? You know, there can't be too much. And my wife jumped in to save her little bit, her baby boy, and she said, lay off him, Zach. Don't you remember when we used to do the same thing? Do you remember when we were kids on the phone and you would even write me love letters? Never happened, right? And, and for a brief moment, I could just picture me on my parents' landline and like just tying up the line for hours, and I just remember being on the phone and never wanting to get off because I had this voice of an angel on the other end of the line. Do you guys remember those days? Maybe your girlfriend had a really rough voice, but mine was nice. So, can you make that joke? Anyways, so um, I just know this thing, like things change. New feelings become old feelings, right? Like a, a love that was once a fire gives way to something that's comfort and brings security into your relationship. Mystery gives way to something well-known and dependable. I mean, I used to sit on the phone for hours with my wife, and she would be like, you hang up. And I'd be like, no, you hang up. And she'd be like, no, you hang up, right? And then she'd hang up, and I'd call her right back, like, you know, you got it, you got it, back. No, um, anyways. So one person got that song reference. The rest of you aren't hip. Kenny's like, what are you guys talking about? Anyways, so, um, <laughs> but after 19 years, I get on the phone with my wife, and she's like, no, you hang up. And I'm like, all right, click, right? Done. Whenever I talk to people on the phone now, I want information, you know? Just tell me when to pick up the boys, when is basketball practice done, what time is dinner, and tell me I'm handsome and hang up. That's all I want, okay? Things have gotten less exciting. And I found that things we used to live for, you can outgrow, right? Some things you used to live for, you can just outgrow. However, today we will see that the Corinthians had outgrown something that they used to live for. The Corinthians had begun to believe that a truth was no longer relevant. So what is that truth? As we will see today, the Corinthians were no longer just arguing over which gifts were the best. They were no longer just arguing over tongues or interpretation. They weren't arguing over secondary issues. They were starting to argue over a core foundation of the Christian faith. A core truth that has to do with our salvation in general. A huge truth. As we will see today, some Corinthians believe they had outgrown the idea of the resurrection. 
And I know I have a room full of believers here, and you guys are probably thinking the same thing I did. How can anybody ever outgrow the idea of the resurrection? I mean, when it comes to our faith, there is nothing more essential than the idea that Jesus came back from the dead and that he walked out of that grave. If you guys could understand this, this is not something that we can disagree on as a people. We can disagree on some things, speaking in tongues, interpretation, miraculous healings, all that stuff is secondary. But when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, we can't misunderstand this. We can't even afford to misunderstand this. Why? Because if Jesus was not risen from the grave, we will not rise from the grave. If he did not overcome death, we will not overcome death. We have no hope, no salvation, and no forgiveness in Christ if he did not rise. We must understand something. Jesus did not have to be God to go to the cross. You guys get that, right? Any man can go to the cross. Thousands of men did. What was the difference? Jesus had the power to overcome the death he received on the cross. The power of Christ is found in the fact that the grave could not hold him down and the death could not keep him. The resurrection of Christ gave us the ability in life to look forward to death and say, Death, where is your power? Death, where is your sting? And that's the power of the resurrection that we look at today. And if you guys think I'm coming at you heavy, wait till the end of the sermon, right? Okay, but Paul understood this truth. Paul lived and breathed and died for this truth of the resurrection. And that's why we're going to see Paul address the resurrection issues with three forms of evidence in this passage. Three forms of evidence. The first form of evidence we're going to see that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Paul argues the, the relevance of the resurrection is he uses scripture itself. The first evidence we're going to see is Scripture itself. All right, we're going to hop into the Bible. But before we do that, will you guys please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the minds and hearts and people in this room. God, I pray that today your word is relevant, that it is moving, and that it is speaking to us. God, I pray our ears are open in this place. Show us something, God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. You guys should know this is one of the fundamental key passages of the Christian faith. So if you have a highlighter, circle the entire chapter, okay? Get your highlighters ready. This is amazing. You guys need to know this stuff if you don't already. Starting in verse 1. Now, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as someone untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. That's so good. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Rather than it was I or they, so we preached, and you believed. And that's so awesome. This is an awesome passage. And we see 
Paul take on this idea head on. He starts with these words, now I remind you. That's a nice way of saying, how could you have forgotten what I brought to your city, the truth that I brought to your city? I'm reminding you of this truth. And if you guys remember, there was a problem with the Corinthians, right? Dave's been talking about this for weeks now. They, they wanted prestige. They wanted to be important. They wanted to be well-known. They wanted the best seat at church, right? So they were all about gaining new wisdom and new knowledge. So when Paul first came to their town and he brought this new knowledge of the resurrection, it was new. It had that brand new car smell, if you know what I mean. And they gladly accepted it. And they were saved. But now there's this new knowledge floating around. And what is this new knowledge, you might be asking? Well, it's something based on Greek theology that the body is inherently completely disgustingly evil. That the flesh of man is so depraved that Jesus would have never come back to bodily form. They were teaching that Jesus would have to have come back in a spirit's form because a God, our God, the God, would never come back into the flesh of an evil human being. And they start to say that Jesus was not resurrected in a bodily form. And this is huge, you guys. This is a huge problem for Paul. So he addresses this head on. And he sees that we're in this place where we find the believers have begun to grow bored with what Paul had once brought them. They believe they've outgrown this truth and they have this new, better truth that they're now living by. And he says this, he defends it. Let me remind you that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And this brings us back to that first point. Paul is bringing up the evidence found in the scriptures. What evidence you might be asking? Well, he's going to be pointing to Old Testament scriptures that are the prophetic word that's talking about a coming Messiah, a coming Christ. Passages like Isaiah 53, 5. You might want to write that one down. Find it in your Bible. Passages like Psalms 16, 8 through 11. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but, by, but we were pierced for our but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by whose wounds we are healed. And that's so good. Paul's saying, hey, don't forget, the Old Testament pointed to the resurrection. But then he brings up a second point for evidence of the resurrected Jesus, and that is this, eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness testimony. He says this, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And this is massive, church. This is huge. Why? Because when something's crazy, right, you guys get it. When there's a crazy story, what does somebody ask when you share that story? Like, who saw that? Who got video of that? right? And the crazier the story, the more witnesses you're going to need, right? And what is more crazy than the idea of a man walking out of the grave, okay? So they're going to need some eyewitness testimony, and that's what Paul is doing for us here. Look, understand this. Most people are never going to believe a crazy story without some form of witnesses. I think it would actually be kind of foolish to believe it without witnesses, and this is true for any crazy story. For example, um, like, I grew up in the hood. I, I tell that to you guys all the time. Kind of proud of it, right? Should I be? Uh, uh, so, so I grew up in the hood, and like, hood stories just hit different. And when I was in the Coast Guard, we would be up on the bridge, and we would share crazy stories with each other. There's nothing better to do in the middle of the night, so you're just yapping, right? Hi. And, and so uh, I'm sharing these stories, 
And uh, the, the men on the bridge have a hard time believing some of them. One in particular was the story of a pet iguana that I had when I was a kid. Her name was Spike. And Spike became sick, right? And my dad was brokenhearted. This iguana my dad had raised from a little hatchling in an egg to a four-foot-long beast in a cage, okay? And so Spike becomes sick. My dad's devastated. He spends like $280 in vet bills to get this lizard better. And right when we think she's on the mend, we bring her home and we put her in the cage. And the next morning we wake up and she can't move her front arm. She's paralyzed. And I remember my dad almost cried and he said, pick up the lizard and bring it into the backyard. And I didn't know it was going down, right? And, and I grabbed Spike and I carry her in the backyard and my dad has a paper bag. And I'm like, are we going to do like lizard CPR? What's going on here, right? And he puts the bag over the lizard's head and he grabs a big stick and he says, hold her still. And wham, he nails her in the head, right? No more Mrs. Spike, she's gone, okay? And I tell this to the guys, and they're like, dude, that, is, that never happened. Who, what kind of crazy dad would kill his pet lizard in front of his boy, right? No one's going to do this. You've been watching too many old Yeller movies, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, how can I prove this? So I call my little brother up on the phone. My, my brother Doug was there. And I'm like, hey, Doug, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Do you remember the iguana we had when we were a kid, and without skipping a beat, my brother goes, you mean the lizard dad beat to death in the backyard? That's the power of eyewitness testimony. Like, it doesn't matter how crazy the story is, if you have somebody that can back up what happened, it is viable. Now, notice that Paul brings up his first witness. Who is that? Cephas. You guys know who Cephas is? That's Peter, you guys. Why is Peter important? Because Peter was the first male witness of the resurrection. If you guys remember a couple weeks ago, Dave shared that there was two people that made it to the grave first, right? It was the females. And Dave shared that female witnesses really wouldn't have been considered credible in a court of law. So notice here that Paul uses the first male witness of the resurrected Jesus. The first, not only the first male witness, but one of the disciples. And then he gets into something huge here. He says, however... More than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive. And this is a huge piece of evidence, right? Because you could probably get a couple people together to lie about a story. You guys get this. I could find a couple people and convince them to lie. I could pay them off. I could bribe them, whatever it might be. But how in the heck could you find 500 people that are going to agree that they saw the resurrected Christ? And not just that, Paul says, yo, go find them. They're still alive. Ask them yourself. This all points to the idea that the resurrection really happened. The crazier the story, the more eyewitnesses you need. And what is better than 500 people seeing Jesus at the same time? And many believe this is the kind of thing that spurred the spread of the story of Jesus Christ. Because there was enough people around to verify that they indeed had seen this risen God. The third point Paul uses is personal account or personal testimony. And this is something we all have. You guys need to know in a way that we all verify the, our faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection by our actions and by our changed, transformed lives. Do you guys agree? One person does. Our changed life shows that the resurrection is real. And that's what Paul's bringing up here. He says, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And guys, this is one of the major forms of evidence of the resurrection. We have this guy, Paul, 
And he's traveling the country, hunting down Christians, right? He's this zealous hater of the faith, and he's having people arrested, and he's watching people be beat to death with stones in front of him. Like he's holding their coats. He's approving this stuff. How did Paul go from a staunch hater of the church to a devout follower, a man that's ready to die for this guy, Jesus Christ? The evidence would seem to show that something happened in Paul's life that changed his entire existence. He had to have seen the risen Jesus. But then there's this next point Paul makes, and it's huge. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And this is a huge form of encouragement to men like me. You guys need to know that like Paul doesn't see himself as one of the best apostles. He actually sees himself as one of the least because of what he had done to the church. Look, you guys need to know something about me. I was raised three ways. I was poor, white, trash, right? Like that's me. There's nothing special about Zach. Okay, so I've never considered myself prestigious or important. Like Dave shares on stage that he couldn't read in the third grade grade because of dyslexia, right? Like words move around on the page. I couldn't read in the third grade because I was dumb, y'all, okay? The pages and the words didn't move around. I just read at a first grade level. I did not come from Baines. My parents did not have a good education. They did not teach me to be a pastor. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not grow up learning to love people, care about people, or give a dang about anybody. But I was taught one thing by my dad. No matter what you do, outwork the guy next to you. No matter what you're doing in life, outwork the guy next to you. I don't care what you're doing, outwork the guy next to you. And this is something I held on to, and this is something I held on to in my faith. How can I prove what I believed? How can I prove that I believed the resurrection was real? How can I prove that I had been changed? I know I can outwork every single person in the church. I don't care who you are. Meet me on the job site. I'll outwork you. Kenny, I don't care. Meet me. I'll work you into a hole. I don't care. And that's something that I lived by for years. I just wanted to show people that I had been freed by Jesus. I was going to outwork everybody because of the work Jesus had done for me. And I started in the church. I had no title. I had no role. I had no job. I would come on Sunday and I would move chairs and I would help park cars. And I would come in snowy days and I would shovel off the church steps and it was 18 degrees outside at 7 in the morning. I didn't care. I just wanted to work for Jesus. And I would would teach at kids camps and I would teach children and I would teach at men's encounters. Whatever. Give me a mic. I just want to talk about the resurrected Jesus. That's all I cared about. And I was going to outwork anybody on that mic. But people, now I'm in this faith. And it's been years in this faith. I've been part of this Christian thing for a long time. And now I wonder if many of the stories that used to bring excitement to my life have lost their action and romance. Like when I read the biblical testimonies of Jesus coming back from the grave, does it still move me? Like, guys, does it still stir anything in your hearts when you read this account? This can't be the first time you've heard about 500 witnesses, but does it still do something inside of you? And this brings me to my big idea. Have you grown bored of something that used to inspire you? 
Have you guys grown bored of something that used to inspire you in life? I know that you're believers and you're never going to doubt the idea of the resurrection. But is the resurrection still inspiring you to move for God in your lives? Is it still inspiring you to look different than those around you? And guys, is the resurrection still enough in your life? And that's the question being asked of the Corinth people. Why do you need a new truth? Was the old truth not good enough? I just wonder sometimes if we've heard this story so many times, it's start to become old news. Like if we could be honest, we've been reminded so often that Jesus died and that he was raised and that he came back from the grave that it's just not as exciting as it used to be after years and years. But should this ever be said of a church that believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Should this ever be said of a people that are called his church, his children, and his family, just like love? Has the church lost its romanticness to us? Is that a word, romantic? That's not even a word. All right. So I remember another story from when I was a kid, you guys. And uh, my, mom would, uh, my mom would work on weekends in retail. And so she was gone most Saturdays and Sundays, and most holidays she was at work. And she would leave us with my, my dad and his hooligan friends to raise us. And that was just a terrible idea, okay? And she leaves us with my dad one day, and they're doing a little day drinking. I was waiting for someone in here to be like, hey, day drinking, nobody. Okay, good. Um, right, but they're doing a little day drinking, and they run out of alcohol. And my dad and his friends decide it's time to go down to the liquor mart and pick up some more 40 ounces of malt liquor, right? And... Um, they decide who's going to drive. I think they picked like the least drunk guy in the, in the group, right? And he's driving. And my dad takes me and my little brother and he puts us in the back of this guy Bill's van. And it's one of those old creepy vans, you know. And, and CW, this guy CW gets in the back seat with us. Bill's driving. My dad's the passenger in the front. And we're di driving down the road. Now, something you should know about CW, CW is a scary looking guy, okay? CW is an OG. CW is an ex-gang member, okay? And CW used to be a professional kickboxer, but he ended his career after he ended up serving some time in the state penitentiary. And that's CW, okay? So we're riding in the back seat, and Bill is smoking a cigarette. Well, everybody's smoking a cigarette. And Bill drops a cigarette in the back seat. And all of the garbage accumulated on the floor goes up in flames. Somebody laughed earlier last service. I was like, that's not funny. Okay. And I look down and there's flames. I can feel the heat on my feet. And my dad sees the flames and he freaks out. And rather than doing anything to save us, he just starts choking the driver, Bill, as hard as he can. So they pull over to the side of the road. My dad's choking Bill. I look over at my little brother. He looks at me and we look at each other like, we finna die today. Like, we gonna die. There's no way around it, you know? And CW yanks open the van door, shoves me out onto the sidewalk, unbuckles my brother from his car seat and jumps out. And there's just some memories in life you can't forget. They just become core to who you are. And one of my greatest memories in life is just standing on the side of the road holding the hand of this large African-American man, CW. And to this day, whenever I see CW, whenever me and my brother see CW, he says, hey, boy, you remember that time I pulled you and your little brother out of that fire? You would have died. And I say the same thing every time. Man, CW, how could a guy ever forget a story like that? How could you ever forget being saved? 
And I stand here as a preacher wondering how I can relate that to the gospel. Like, I wonder if at times if we forget how we were saved. I wonder if at times we forget how we were pulled out of the fire of hell by something bigger than us. I wonder if we forget the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Like, it wasn't our righteousness that saved it, was it? It wasn't anything that we did. It wasn't anything that we earned. It was not our study of the Greek or the Hebrew and the Bible that set us free. It was the power of Jesus over the grave. Church, have you grown bored of something that used to inspire you in life? Does your life still reflect that the gospel it's real. Are you still inspired? Are you still moved by the idea of the resurrection? And with that in mind, I thought I might share a core truth. I thought I might share something that I think should stir us. Are you guys ready? You ain't ready. <laughs> you ain't ready. All right, here we go. So 2,000 years ago, they lived this man named Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He was a good man, and a devout man, and an honest man. He actually worked as a carpenter. And he began to teach in the streets in a way that nobody had ever seen, because he taught with authority and power, not somebody else's authority, but his own. And the Jewish leaders did not like what Jesus had to say. So they thought of a way to kill this man, and they paid one of his own disciples to hand him over. And they arrested this man, Jesus, and they beat him, and they spit on him, and they took him to the Roman authorities, and they handed him over to be killed. But the Roman authorities found no fault in this man, Jesus. And he tried to give him back to his people, but his own people, his own family, the Jewish people, cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus was beaten, and he was flogged, and he was scourged, and his flesh was laid open, his muscles laid exposed. Barely able to carry the cross, he walked through the streets, carrying the cross that we deserved, carrying the cross that we had earned, carrying the sin that we should have paid for on his back. And he walked to the top of Golgotha and they crucified God on a cross. And from that cross ran the blood of the creator of the universe. The blood of God ran onto the very ground that he had created with his own hands. And on that cross, he died. And they pulled him down from the cross. And they put him in a grave that belonged to another. But don't worry, church, he was just borrowing that grave. And three days later, when death thought it had won, and the grave thought it had defeated God, it could not, it could not hold God back any further. And after three days, Jesus walked out of that grave alive. Jesus is alive. Do you still believe? Church, do we still believe? Do we still believe that on that cross our sins forgiven? Do we still believe that when he came out of that grave, he set us free? Today, people, we are free because of what Jesus did. Today, people, we are free because of the resurrection. Today, we are called his children. We are made whole. We are made new because of that work, because of that life. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, 
God, thank you that you took a man like me. Thank you that you took a man like me and snatched me out of that fire, God. Thank you, Jesus, that we're set free. Thank you that through your resurrection, someday we will see you face to face and we will climb out of those graves, God, and we will be alive forever. Not because of something we did or something we earned or something we understood, God, but because of your power over death, God. You're the only one worth worshiping. You're the only God worthy of our praise, Jesus. Let us never grow tired of that story, God. Let us never grow tired or weary of hearing about the resurrection because it is that resurrection that brings us to life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everybody, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you're new to me and I'm new to you, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here, but I'm not here this weekend. Thank you for being here today. Such an exciting day. I'm so proud of every one of you. I know many of you were involved in our Zoe initiative, and I just have to highlight a couple of things. We were able to buy the car, the van that you walk by every week this month. There's some people to thank. Uh, certainly I wanna thank all of you who are involved. And then also Josh and Sarah Purser, who are the owners of Oxnard Mazda. Uh, they were the ones who provided the vehicle for us. Josh begged us to not say anything, but I'm sorry, I can't do it. I have to mention this. And that is to say this, that Josh got us this vehicle at his cost, $33,000 and change, had low mileage, and he even threw in a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty for the folks at Zoe to not have to worry about the vehicle. All right, so I'm gonna hand it right back over to Kenny. Kenny, you're gonna make sure that we get a check to the folks at Oxnard Mazda and make sure the keys go from Oxnard Mazda to Zoe. Wonderful time. Thank you so much, Church, for being a part of this. Kenny, it's over to you. All right, that's awesome. So you guys are so, you guys blow me away every time. There's just a spirit of generosity. We set this goal to raise $36,000 in order to pay for the van you know, 33,000 plus tax and licensing and all that stuff. You bought cars before. Um, and uh, we were going to do it all month. We're still going to collect money today, but we didn't need to. Because in three Sundays, in 14 days, you guys didn't raise $36,000. We raised $48,000 very easily. Um, we've collected over 100 gift cards. We're still collecting those today. If you want to go grab one and bring it back, um, you can probably even bring it by the office tomorrow if you're, if you're late, but that's okay. Um, and then there's um, the ladies' ministry have made quilts for the girls in the home. There's just so much things you guys have done. The prayer, it's amazing. So um, this is from you guys and your donations. I'm going to give this over to uh, Josh from Oxnard Mazda, and you can take that straight to the bank. It's a good check. We're just fortunate to be a part of this, and thank you guys. Uh, when the guys brought this to our attention, we definitely jumped on board with this, and it's you guys that made this happen, and we're so fortunate to be able to give these keys to Zoe, be able to provide all the support you guys need to continue to help those girls. Oh, yeah, I also, before we, uh, this is Dr. Jason from Zoe's. Uh, he does the home, he's gonna introduce himself, but I wanted to give him this. This is $1,000 in gift cards to cover some of their gas. This should get him about two tanks. Uh, in the van. Uh, church, thank you so much. Uh, I am from Zoe International. We've been around for 20 years. This makes our 20th year. 
We've served thousands of kids. Our, our catchphrase is rescue every child. Reach every person, rescue every child. And reach every person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you so much. With, with great gratitude and honor that we receive this. Our girls are going to be able to travel safely to various places. And I just wanted to share one more thing. Zoe in the Greek means life abundantly. And that's exactly what we want to give back to these girls is life abundantly. When Jesus said in John 10, 10, I bring life and I bring life abundantly, that's actually Zoe. So thank you so much for your part. We really appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Um, so we're going to receive the regular offering now. Um, we can do that three ways. You can give online at campcc.net. If you're writing a check, you can put it in the offering box on the way out. Um, and when you give to Camp CC, it not only supports the ministry here, but we have we support ministries throughout the world. And I wanted to highlight one of those right now, and that's the Global Discipleship Initiative, or GDI. It's ran by our former senior pastor, Ralph Rittenhouse. And I wanted to bring it up right now because um, as we speak, he's um, traveling to the Ukraine. He's going to be preaching at two uh, churches there, including one in Kiev. So I wanted to um, he's bringing the gospel of hope and good news there, uh, along with a van full of supplies. So I wanted to encourage you guys to be praying for him this week, and I'm going to pray for him right now. Lord, thank you for um, the generosity of this church, allowing us to partner with Zoe and provide him this van and the gift cards and everything else that you've done through this group of people here before me. Um, and we just want to lift up to you, Pastor Ralph, right now, as he's in Ukraine uh, sharing the gospel uh, that you give him fruitfulness, you give him the words to say that this time would be productive, and that you'd give him protection while he's there. We say these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're going to watch a video. Before we do that, I want to remind you, uh, there's no one going to be here next week. It's online or camping. We'd encourage you to come up and join us camping. All right, check out the video. Hi, Camp CC. I'm Carolyn Hart, and I serve in our Awana ministry, and I'm so grateful to be part of our church family here at Camp CC. If it is your first, second, or third time as a guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for checking us out. We want to put a face to your name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. And if you're watching us online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at CamCC. The month of May, Zoe Initiative, reaching and rescuing trafficked children. The month of May, we are partnering with Zoe, a nonprofit organization that fights against human trafficking. Ways for you to get involved would be one, join our 24-hour prayer time, sign up for a slot on the patio. Two, donate $10 coffee and fast food gift cards to the advocate team that meets with these girls. And number three, donate to purchase a van for Zoe. This is a huge need for them right now. Friday, May 27th through Monday, May 30th, family camp at Sage Hill in Santa Barbara. Enjoy the outdoors, camping, hiking, fishing, and family games. If you can't make the whole weekend, that's okay. Just come up for the day. Also enjoy a Saturday potluck dinner followed by our weekend gathering as we will not be gathering on campus May 29th. Join us May 28th at the camp for our gathering or watch Sunday, May 29th, only online. Sunday, June 12th, Baptism Sunday. Take the next step in your faith by publicly declaring Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life. We will have baptisms for both gatherings. To sign up or if you have questions, please go to camcc.net slash next steps or email daryl at campcc.net. We will provide everything you need. Tuesday, June 14th, worship night. Come join us for a dynamic night of worship, prayer, and scripture. Invite your friends and family to join you from 7 to 8 p.m. and it's going to be a powerful evening. Tuesday, June 14th, PJs and popcorn. 
Kids birth all the way up through third grade come in your pajamas for a praise party kid style and all you can eat popcorn while your parents are at worship night. For more information, please check out our website at camcc.net. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. High School Fridays on Camp, June 19th through 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th through 8th. To stay in the loop at what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. I love that regardless of how much we may grow tired of the things that used to make us so happy, Psalm 16, 8 through 11 reminds us that there's no greater joy than the joy of Jesus. Remember, if it is your first, second, or third time, we have gifts waiting for you at the welcome counter. And if you are watching online, you'll be able to find those at camcc.net slash next steps. And it's not too late to sign up for family camp. And remember, you can only watch online next Sunday. Thank you guys so much. See you in two weeks. Walk. And I've seen cancer disappear.